this morning is from Psalm 19 on page 858. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the summer, I love to play golf. Now, some of you may think, how can anyone enjoy that game? As someone has said, golf is a nice walk ruined. But I enjoy going out and chasing a ball and eventually getting it into a little hole. Some of you might like to go fishing. Somebody might say, I love to go out and fish. I've heard someone say that it takes two dead worms to go fishing, one at either end of the pole. So there are some, of course, who really do not love to go fishing. It would be a waste of time, ruining of a good day. And so obviously there are different tastes. We, uh, some of us, love, love Brussels sprouts, and some of us really don't like, like it. Some of us might love to go to an opera 
and others went, oh boy, if I have to do that through three hours, that would be a real, real burden uh, for me. Some like country music and some despise country music. Some like organ music and hymns and some like contemporary music. It's great to see some of the young people here leading us in music today. Uh, By the way, that shows you what I love. And so there are these different uh, things that you would say we're all different. And so we have different loves. But I guess there are certain things in life that none of us would say that we love. I've never heard anyone say to me, I love to go to the dentist. Or, I love to get ready for a colonoscopy exam. (laughs) Or, I love it when I get a letter from Revenue Canada that I'm being audited. Now, those are things that we endure. Those are things maybe that we submit to, but those are not things that we can honestly say that we love. This morning... I want to focus on what the psalmist actually says in, in plainly in Psalm 119 that I read at the very beginning of the service. Oh, how I love thy law. How I love your law. I meditate it on it day and night. And certainly the same sentiment is reflected here in Psalm 19 where it talks that the precepts of the Lord are like gold, or like pure gold. They are sweeter, they are sweeter than honey. Oh, how I love your law, O Lord. But now I ask you, in what category would you put that word love? Would you put it in the first example, that is, That is, yeah, some people love the law of God. They really relish it. They really enjoy it. And, well, there are obviously other people who really don't like the love of God. Is it a matter of taste? And this particular psalmist happens to love the the law of God? Or is it something that I endure? Is it something that I submit to? That... Well, yeah, I guess I, I don't really don't like the law. It's kind of a burden. It's kind of hard. But, but yeah, I guess it's God's law, so I have to submit to it. In what category would you put this law of God? C.S. Lewis, um, well-known Christian, writes of this particular psalm that it's the most beautiful psalm in the Psalter. And it's one of the great lyric poets, some of the greatest lyric poetry in all the world. But he asks too, what does it mean that we love the, the law of God? What about a person who is in a loveless marriage? But he stays in his marriage, even though it prevents him from 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 being with the love of his life, does he say, oh, how I rejoice, oh, how I love your law? What about somebody who's very poor and, and, but is not allowed to steal and, and, and so that bread that is in front of him, but it's, it's not for him, does he say, oh, how, how refreshing it is? When you, when you get... Uh, uh, you get a fine by radar. Is it something that you, oh, how I, how I love 
the law? No. It is often not the case. And if now my purpose is somehow in this sermon for all of us to say at the end of this sermon, oh, how I love an audit by Revenue Canada or how I love speed traps, I would have an impossible task. But now, what about wanting all of us to echo these words, the words of the psalmist? Oh, how I love your law. I hope and pray that I don't have an impossible task, but that the Spirit of God may use these words, may use this reflection, so that all of us may say, Oh, how I love your law, how I love your word, how I love you, God, how I love you, Jesus. Because you see, it's all in that same package. And so let's take a little bit of a closer look Psalm 19. The psalm begins not with the law of God. It begins with creation and especially the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, his, his wonders. Some people have said that actually Psalm 19 is two psalms that some people just simply put together. There are two psalms which really are not related to each other. But I believe that the psalmist knew what he was doing. And as well as we we're going to find a pivot here in the middle of this psalm that joins the two inextricably uh, together. And so it begins then the heavens declare the glory of God. The the the, the heavens speak. Do you listen to the heavens speak? Last couple of, or recently, you know, some of the night skies and even the morning skies, they're just, they're just absolutely gorgeous. We, we, we see something of, of God in his creation. It speaks, and we need to listen. The question is, do we listen? Do we really reflect on the God who created all of this? Somebody compared it to going to a museum and, and, and looking at an art piece. Some years ago, I had the privilege to, to be in Europe and, and went to the Louvre in, uh, in Paris. And of course, uh, there you, you've got to go see the Mona Lisa, which we did. So I saw the Mona Lisa. Did I really see the Mona Lisa? Well, in some ways I did see it. But I really didn't see it. Apparently, you, if you go online and you, 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 you Google uh, Mona Lisa, it, it's apparently Leonardo da Vinci has, has all, all sorts of little, some of it you have to see in micros, through a microscope. There's little animals, there's different, there's different codes in, in some of the, the surroundings around, around the Mona Lisa. And so people study these, these painting, this painting. And, and it speaks. And so if you really want to see it, you have to listen. You have to see what is there. There's a Dutch artist, I believe, or Belgian, I'm not sure, uh, Peter Bruegels. And 
And he, he, he uh, painted a, a picture, and again, you can go on, on, online on Google, Google it later on today, and it's called The Parables of the Netherlands. And, and in it, he, if you look carefully, you will find, you will find 122 uh, Dutch sayings. Like, for example, you see one little, there's a guy hitting his head against the brick wall. There's another of, he's got the two hands be, on a loaf of bread and you live from, from paycheck to paycheck. And so you see all of, so you can, you can see something, but do you really see it? Is it really speaking to you? And so the heavens are speaking. The firmament is speaking. And so you would think that of all the people in the world who would know more about God would be the scientists. But are they really listening? One person who was is um, Francis Collins. He was one of the scientists who broke the, the, the genome code. You know, now, of course, you can, you can uh, you know, the, the genetic, our genetic code, the genes have been mapped. And he afterwards wrote a book and he called it The Language of God. He just couldn't, he just couldn't come to the point that this was by accident. There must have been a creative mind behind this. And so he wrote that book, The Language of God. The heavens, the firmament, God's creation. It speaks, but we need to listen. And let's face it, there are many, many people who are not listening. They just see it like I might see the Mona Lisa. They might just simply observe it, but they don't see the hand behind the creation. They do not see God. The section of the psalm ends with the talking about the sun. The sun in its, nothing, nothing is deprived of its warmth that we read here. Already this morning I heard a number of you say, isn't it beautiful the sunshine today and to experience the warmth of, of the sun. And so we know, we know that the world could not exist without the sun. People have known that for centuries of course. As a matter of fact, many pagan cultures, of course, they worship the sun. They set up temples for the sun. They offer sacrifices and sometimes even sacrifices of their own children to, to the sun so that it, may, that it may do its thing so that the land will, will grow and produce a crop and so forth. But notice what the psalmist says here. The sun is given an assignment The sun is not an entity in and of itself. It is not divine. Only God is divine. He puts it in his course. It runs its course from evening, from morning till night. Of course I know that the sun stays still, but yet we still talk about the sun rising and the sun setting. There is this this course that, that God has set. We're now approaching winter. But then we expect spring and summer and fall. There's this rhythm, there's this course that God has set in 
in, in, this, in this creation. And so nothing, nothing escapes the penetration of the sun. That's the great gift of God. That's how this world survives. That's how this world stays, stays in place. If the sun would no longer shine, this world, this world would be destroyed. And now, now he goes into discussing the law. It, again, talks about the sun, it rises at one end of the heavens and, and makes its a circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived from its warmth. This is that hinge that I was talking about earlier, that nothing, nothing is deprived of its warmth. And now he begins talking about the law of God. And so he's, in a sense, saying, the law of God is like the sun, that we cannot survive as a society without the word of God, without the law of God. If God would remove his law, if he would remove his word, this world could not survive. And as the sun penetrates in all areas of life, so the word of God, so the law of God penetrates our lives. That is what the law does. Society wants to do away with the law, at least as I observe it. But is this a better world where abortions are done by the thousands, where older people are encouraged to just simply end their lives? where wealth is gathered in the hands of a few and many are, are in poverty. No wonder, no wonder the psalmist says the law is like pure gold. This is so valuable. The law, the law of God is trustworthy. It makes wise. It gives joy. It is pure and endures forever. Now when we think about that, that this is what the law does, what does that remind us of? That the law is pure, that the law gives joy. The law reminds us of God himself. God is pure. God gives joy. God endures and lasts forever. The law of God is not just simply some arbitrary word. The law reflects his love. The law reflects who he is for our society to flourish, to make wise the simple. That's why he gives us his law. And so when we say, oh, how I love your law, O oh Lord, we are in a sense saying the same thing as Oh, how I love you. And what is the greatest commandment? It is that, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Behind the law is the person of God. Again, 
They are not entities in and of, our, in, in and of themselves. You know, sometimes we, we are, uh, yeah, we, we can be legalistic. We can focus as, as, as a law is an end in, end in and of itself. But Jesus makes it very clear, does he not, in, in, the, para, in the Beatitudes, in, in, um, when he says, for example, of the law, you shall not kill. Well, we can look and say, well, yeah, no, I've been doing pretty good with that. I don't think I've killed anyone in my, in my life. And so, but, but Jesus says, anyone who calls his, his brother a fool has already violated this command. In other words, this law reflects who God is. And God desires a society where we love one another, where we care for one another. That's what's behind this law. You know, when I think about the Christian ethic, the Christian ethic which talks about love and caring and forgiveness, I believe that that is the, the finest ethic, the best ethic by which to live. Far and above any, any other ethic that the world, that the world may come up with. But I also have to admit, I know myself very well, that I would never come up with this ethic on my, of, on my own. <clears throat> the ethic of, <clears throat> of caring. The ethic of turning the other cheek. The ethic of forgiveness. The ethic of commitment. The ethic of, of hard work. Of contributing. I wouldn't come up with that myself. No, but I find it reflected. It makes even a simple person like me, it makes, it makes it me wise. That's why I want to say I love. I love the law of God. <laughs> I realize. I realize that I cannot live up to that law perfectly. And I... I transgress many, many times. But notice how the psalmist, the psalm also ends um, where it says, keep your servant from willful sins that they may be, that they may not rule over me. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart. And so may I meditate. And as the sun penetrates Everything here on earth, so let your law, let your word penetrate my life so that I may see where I err, where I go wrong, where I go off the track. Because, Lord, I love your law. And when I say that, then I am saying, I love you, God. And even more than that, I love you, Jesus. My Jesus, I love thee. Why? Because you have given your life so that I may, that I may understand, so that I may, may, may not be destroyed, but that I may rise with you, that I may live with you. This law, this word became flesh. And it made its home amongst us. 
Next week, we officially begin with the Advent season. If you go into stores, you already know that you, we are in the Christmas season. But what's it all about? It's about the Word, the law, becoming flesh. When we talk about the great love of God, God so loved the world that He gave us Son. But let's see the fullness of that. And as we took in the bread and as we took in the wine, whether we really realized it or not, But we were saying, I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. Oh, how I love your law. May I meditate on it. May I go from here and may I experience you penetrating my life. And I pray that this may be a congregation that others may see, not just a people who are kind of grudgingly submit to the law of God because they have to... no. But this is, there's a joy that is here. There is a love that is here. Oh, how I love the law of God. Oh, how I love Jesus. My rock and my salvation. Amen. Let's sing a song of response.